eat. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Well, tonight, if you, if you need kind of like, what's the theme of tonight? Uh, it's really a couple of words. It's um, promise. God promises. Do you know that he, in, in God's word, some people have tried to count. And some have found, some have counted 8,000 some promises. Another one has counted 7,000 promises. And then there's another one. This, I had to laugh. He, he said there's somewhere between 3,000 and 30,000 promises in there. So he's got us all covered. But anyway, it just proves there's so many promises. And promises we, we don't know because we... We don't, we, we don't find them, or we don't, we don't search for them, or we don't think they're that important, or whatever reason. But I'm thinking to myself, those promises, when he says, I will do this, or I will, that is a promise he keeps. In fact, this Christmas, I always get my kids and grandkids, you know, I always get them a devotional of some type, you know, and I try to do it every year so that they will have something new every year. They've probably got a drawer full of them, you know, accumulating all my devotionals these years. But, but this year, this year after doing these lessons, I, I found this, it's, it's by a different kind of of authors, but what it is, is it's a flip, of course, so easy, easy flip every day to what? A new promise, a new promise that God says. I thought, I want my kids to know at least 365 of those promises so that they can claim them, that they can walk with the Lord knowing that when he promises, he'll come through. I think that's so rich. So, We'll see if they do it, but my intent is good, right? It's it's there, but so it promises a word that I think we're going to see tonight. It's so important to learn that, and then another word is faith, and that is just plain believing and and trusting, and and even when you can't see, and Abraham and Sarah are in such a place of trying to walk by faith, not by sight, because Abram was 75 when they left Haran. He was 86 when he had Ishmael. And then, I did not realize this, it's been 13 years since God has communicated with them. Now, that's a long wait. I mean, it's been 25 years that really they have to wait for what God promised. You know, when you think of our human nature and you, I mean, I'm sure, because me for sure, is that, you know, when, when, when we want something, we don't want to wait. We want it now. We want it fixed now. It's just this whole problem with this wait thing. And, and God's timing, God's, God making us wait all has a reason. He's teaching us how to wait and, and to trust that even though we can't see it for a while, that doesn't mean, because I'm sure there were times when they thought, 
in this 13 years of silence. You know, you know he doesn't forget, but maybe God changed his mind. Maybe he decided he wasn't going to do this with us. I mean, you, you just don't know what's going through a human mind right then. Because 13 years is a long time for them not to hear from the Lord. So now, in today's lesson, we, we know it's 13 years later, and he hears from the Lord. And listen to what he says. When Abram was 99, when he was 99 years old, the Lord, the Lord appeared to him. And he appeared to him and said this. I mean, at first I thought, boy, you know, Abram knows this. I mean, but the Lord starts with, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. And then he goes on and says, walk before me and be blameless. Now, walk before me, you know, and we've been talking about how walking with God is just, it changes everything when we're walking with God. You know, our thoughts and our actions and, and our purpose and our worth and everything is, is so different when we're walking with God and we're listening and looking at him instead of ourselves. But blameless, you know, I always thought that there was one definition to blameless, and that was perfect. You know, blameless, you don't do anything wrong, so you must be perfect. And so, but when you walk with God, believe it or not, you're listening and you're, you're watching in with different eyes. And we could be blameless, believe it or not, when we are walking with God and under the power of his spirit, we honestly could be blameless. But there's the definition here is not to be perfect. What God is asking for is he's asking for them, for Abram to be 100% committed, committed. He's, he, this whole thing about blameless means that, that he is not necessarily perfect, but that he is committed 100% that he is doing what God wants him to do. He literally means whole. I want all of you, Abram. I want all of you. I don't want part of you. I want all of you. When we're going to walk together, and I want you 100% in this. So then he goes on and says, I will confirm my covenant between you and me and will greatly increase your numbers. So those first two verses, what, when Abram listened to God after 13 years, you know, it had to be something to hear God say, Abram, I am God Almighty. In other words, we're going to start, we're going to kind of go over that first because I think there's a lesson, a principle here. When you know God, you will do what he says. The more that you know God, the more that you are in a tight relationship with him, the more you will listen and the more you'll obey and the more you'll trust. So it's kind of like he says, first of all, Abram, I want to make sure you know I am God Almighty. You're not. No one else is. But I am. I am God Almighty. 
And that then will help you to hear what I've got for you. I'm telling you and reminding you who I am, and now I'm going to go into what's going to happen to you and what you need to do. So I will confirm, I've told you this before, I know it's been a while since we talked about it, but I still want you to know I haven't forgotten and this is going to happen. So I'm confirming this again with you. My covenant is between you and me, and, and you will greatly increase your numbers. So what does Abram do when you hear this? Like, oh, I haven't heard this voice in a long time. And, oh, yes, he is God Almighty. And he's confirming what he said before. And Abram fell face down in response, in respect, and in awe. He's in awe of this. And, and down he goes. And, and, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, this is a slight name change. I mean, Abram to Abraham. Abram meant he was father of many, but Abraham is a father of many nations. It's like this covenant is getting bigger and bigger. And really, names are so important back then. When, when you were named, that name would reflect your family or who you were going to turn out to be or hope to be or whatever. But a name was really important. And so when he was given the name Abram, I guess it was just automatic that people thought Abram would be the father of many. And then it was kind of humiliating, I'm sure it was, that he carried this name for 99 years and father of many had no kids. Now, I know now he has Ishmael, but it, we know that that's not what God was talking about. So God has been making him wait. So this name, this name just, you know, was, was kind of heavy for him to, to have. It was, a, it was a hard burden to bear. And then when his name was changed to Abraham, it was, it was like, it was harder yet because now he's going to be the father of many nations and even to kings. I mean, when he says, he says, um, I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I mean, this, like I said, this covenant is just getting bigger, and, and he's still saying, um, now I'm Abraham. It was, it was embarrassing before. Now it's really embarrassing. Because the name just doesn't fit with what, what, I, what I am and what I've got here. See, it's, he's establishing trust. Just wait. Because when he says, I will, then that means he will. But he doesn't tell us when or how. He's just saying, I'm going to test to see if you're willing to wait and believe what I've said. Now, he says, I will establish, verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. And 
between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So again, he says, I'm establishing this covenant with you for how long? Everlasting covenant. And I think we've said this every, every week so far lately when, since we've um, been talking about um, Abraham, but um, it's so, no wonder people want to throw Genesis out. It's so easy to see that these are the fundamental facts that prove why we're in the struggles we are even yet today. You know, we know that Israel, the Israelites, comes from the line of Isaac. The Jewish line comes from the line of Isaac, like God said it would. And, and the and then with the little influx, this mistake, this trying to fix things and do it on their own terms, and we have Ishmael, but yet we see they are a great nation, but they're the Arabs. Now, we will see again God is going to tell Abraham about his son Ishmael. But yet we are watching what God said to Hagar last week. I mean, you know, yes, he'll be a great nation. Many, he'll be the father of many nations, but he will be like a wild donkey. This nation will be fighting against themselves and each other and, and um, nations, and no one can get along with them. But they will be powerful, and it will be dangerous. And boy, we are seeing it. But, but I'm thinking the people who don't understand when they say that, that maybe people like us who, who defend Israel and, and, and we don't defend Palestinians, and it's not that we're cold-hearted. Of course we care about innocent children and, and how they're used as shields. And of course this is evil. I heard Franklin Graham say he has never seen, he's gone to look, and he says he's never seen such evil in all of his life. So you can't help but see, I mean, but yet we have compassion for the innocence of, but yet it goes back to Genesis. It goes back to what God said, and we shouldn't be surprised at all. And that doesn't make us non-compassionate. It doesn't mean that we don't care. It's just that these are consequences that God said. You know, and so I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you, Abraham, and you'll see how he spells it out. You and Sarah will have Isaac in that that covenant will then bring forth the Savior. That we see and we get excited about. But we've got to see, too, that consequences to disobedience doesn't just last for an hour and a half. I mean, we're seeing it yet today. But look what he promised. That's what an everlasting covenant is. This promise, Abraham, will last forever. And then he goes on to the territory. And then he says, the whole, verse 8, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, 
and he must felt like an alien. His his family, his household, they're in the middle of that land, you know, with the, all of those. Remember, we read all those names of the enemies that around in them. But so they probably do feel like an alien. But God promised, He said, "I, I will. This whole land of Canaan, where you are now, alien, will give. I will give as an ever." everlasting possession to you. See there again. Everlasting covenant and everlasting possession to you and your descendants. And I will be their God. See, I don't I don't see any interpretation problem there, do you? I mean it's it's about as clear as you can hear it. And yet, I know that there's people, theologians, maybe some, or historians, or whatever, and you read that to them and say, does it get any clearer? Everlasting covenant, everlasting possession of the land, and yet they'll come back and say, well, that's not what it means. Well, what do you mean it's not what it means? It, I, just read, I just read it. It's as clear. I don't think God could be any more clear in the book of Genesis. This is how I created, and this is what I expect. And I think, of course, that's why they want to throw it out. But we're not, we're not, we're not throwing it out, because to me, this just explains everything. This explains our world trauma. Because people don't listen. People will not go to God's word and take it for what it says when he says, I will, everlasting, he means it. Well, verse 8, verse 9, Then God said to Abram, As for you, you must keep my covenant. So, I mean, it, this is a two-way relationship. I'm making this everlasting covenant with you, and I'm making the, giving you this land. But I want you, you must keep this covenant. And this is what you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is what I expect from you. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep is this. This is what I want you to do. This is it's every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be, look at this, this, it will be the sign of the covenant between you and me. That's, that's what I'm setting up. You must do this. This will show the, uh, the everlasting covenant and promise. And, and, and then you do your part, and this, this puts us all inclusive together. This is the sign that you are committed 100%. See, that's why I said, I want you blameless. I want you walking with me, Abraham, and I want you blameless because you got to be committed 100% because this, this is the only way it's going to work. And, and Abraham, he is walking with God. He's in a good place right now. So he's listening to this. Now, you know, you probably heard a bazillion sermons on this, you know, circumcision. I know as a, as a girl, I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking, oh, couldn't you have picked any other part of the anatomy that could have done the trick? You know, that could have done what, what it was supposed to do. But, but then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, God doesn't ever, 
ever make a mistake, but also he's just got such a good reason in why he does what he does. And, and you know, we know that circumcision is a cutting away of flesh, but perfect. How perfect for us to see. Isn't that the principle God wants us to learn? Is that, because what do we do? What do we love to trust in? Our flesh. We love it when things appeal to our flesh, because that means we get what we want, and, and it's appealing to our flesh. No, he is saying here, he said, I got to show you that, that a cutting away of the flesh is what I want from you. You cannot depend you cannot trust your flesh. You cannot rely on your flesh. You need to trust me. You, you, you want to so badly trust your flesh, but no, I want you to trust me. Cutting away a flesh. So, wow, that's good. And then, and then you know, when you think about it, you think, well, of course, it's got to be this part of the anatomy because, you know, this organ procreates. And so what is the whole point of Abraham and the new nation is to get Abraham's seed to eventually produce the Savior. So we can have a Savior. And, you know, I can't, I can't help but think too, but, I mean, you know, it's in an obvious place that you're going to see quite often. So, you know, you're going to remember that. It's going to remind you of those things. Like, trust him, not my flesh. Trust him, not my flesh. I need to cut my flesh away so that, that I will allow the spirit to, to lead and to guide all the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? I want that. And then to think, oh, what a reminder that it's the seed of Abraham that produced Jesus. I think it really ended up to be quite a beautiful thing. God knows what he's doing. And he said, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. It will be the sign of the covenant between you and me for the generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. So in other words, your whole household, anybody that, rep that represents you, every male, and I, I don't know about you, but when I read, you know, even those that you bought with money, from a foreigner, you know, it kind of pricked me. I thought, ooh, you know, is this a slave approval? And I just can't imagine God approved of slavery. So I went searching. I really did. I thought, I just can't. When I'm, I'm learning God's character, I can't believe that God would approve of slavery. You know, that, that brutal, that worthless being that has to do tasks. And he's, you know, he's lowered less than animals sometimes. I just can't believe our God would put an approval on that. And I found the greatest story of explanation that, of course, God would never approve that kind of behavior. All men are created equal in God's sight. And, and 
yet it's kind of like today. Have you ever talked to somebody who is homeless or you know in a real state of of despair? And, and you would hear them say, you know, I was once a lawyer, or I was a doctor, or, I, you know, I mean, held a real high, high paid even job or whatever, you know, and you think, what are they doing on the streets? How, how can they be homeless? And then you hear their story. You know, either a circumstance or bad choices or addiction or something, and they've lost everything, and they are destitute and they're on the street and they have nothing and they if it wasn't for missions today some of these people wouldn't know where or what to do well it was that way back then there were some people that were in such a dire state either individually or their whole family that they would feel like you know if somebody bought me for a price, then I could work for them, and then we would at least have a home, we would have a place to sleep, we would have food to eat. I mean, it was like a good solution. It was like a win-win. And then in this story, it said there were so many that would be, you know, bought in this kind of situation. And someone like Abraham would buy because he would need the help. And yet he was helping them come from their despair and desperation. And they would become so a part of the household that when their, when their debt was paid off, and, and their master, or whatever, gave them the, t the privilege to, you know, well, hey, you're free now. Many of them didn't go because they were secure. They felt a part of this family, uh, this household, and, and it was such a good thing. So just, just if it helps you a little bit to see when you read that, you know, you think it's... It, it's really a good thing. Abraham was doing a good thing when he bought foreigners. So, anyway. All right. The point is, no matter what male or what their position was in this household, straight across the board, no one was exempt. They all needed to be circumcised. Now, this circumcision was... Um, it wasn't what made them a part of the covenant promise. It was a sign that by faith they became a part of the covenant promise. But in generations, it, it's so typical. This is what we've done today too. It, it kind of went from, if we're circumcised, then we're fine. And I thought, boy, you know, that's pretty much what happens so often where people, well, I'm a good person, or I'm a, I attend church all the time, or, you know, I'll, I'll go to heaven, no problem, there's no question. And they, they just totally eliminate, eliminate the gospel and what they need to do if they, if they have good works and they're a good person and, and they've given their money and, you know, they have all their reasons for, but... None of those saved them. Now, they're all good things. I mean, it's just that they have the cart before the horse. I mean, they think that's what's going to make them a saved person. 
they do not want to hear the fact they've got to humble themselves to the point of feeling worthless and hopeless and then to see Jesus welcoming them into the cross and just waiting for them to say, I confess, I repent, I need a savior. That's what he's waiting, that's what Jesus is waiting for. But that humbling experience, they don't want any part of that. But see, when you do, when you do accept his salvation on his terms at the cross, that's when then, then you do start to see a change in you. So good works and, and church attendance. You can't wait to go and worship and praise and thank him. But those things didn't save you. But because of Jesus, he did save you. Then you want to do those things. But, you know, people can, can get that so caught up. The, the Jews in those generations there, I mean, they, the circumcision was bigger than God was. All they had to do was be circumcised, and then all was well. So okay, look what God says. Verse 14. Um, my covenant is in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So let's say some of those males said, no thanks, I want no part of this. Or in our day, people say, the gospel message? No, I don't need that. I'm perfectly sufficient. I can handle my life. I don't need to humble myself. I don't need shed blood to cover my sins. I'm a good person. Well, he was very specific here. If you are not willing to do that sign, that symbol of your faith in the covenant, or like we would say, if you do not take seriously the gospel message, then the relationship between God and you is broken. It remains broken. It was broken from the start of your life, but because of sin, and we're conceived in sin, but you, you are choosing not to have your brokenness be unbroken through Christ. So he's saying here, so if there's someone that doesn't want to be circumcised, well, it gets that's their choice, but then they, they are broken from me. They are broken off from me. So this was very serious. And then, verse 13, God moved into another territory and said, oh yeah, and, and about Sarah, your wife, Sarai, you are no longer to call her Sarai, her name will be Sarah. Again, a subtle change, a very subtle change, but yet it's kind of the same. I felt for her in the same way with Abram. They were given this name because Sarah means mother of, of a one family. Sarai. Sarai means a mother of one family, you know. But Sarah means mother of many nations. And she, she has no children. I mean, this is, this is, Ishmael is not even her. So, you know, this too, this name thing has been embarrassing, humiliating. My name says that I'm going to be the mother of one family. I don't have one family. Now you're changing it to Sarah, which means mother of many nations. And then look at Alice, you know, she too will have 
kings of people will come from her. But yeah, look at verse 16. I will, God says, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I noticed those, like her was in there twice. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm pretty sure God, when he told this covenant to Abram back in Genesis 12, when he told him the first time, he didn't say, you know, you and Sarah, you know. I think God just wanted to think, well, of course, she's your wife, so of course, you know, the two of you are going to bring forth a child. But when the waiting became too much for them, then they figured out a new plan without God being involved at all. And, and so now God is going to say and be very specific, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So now Abraham has heard, and their names have been changed so that they're nearing the timetable where it's all going to start. It's like God is, you know, the thing is he's, you know, he's, he knows his timing is so perfect, and he's expecting these two people to just calmly wait. <laughs> Not easy. Abraham, he fell down, he, he fell face down again. So here he goes again. This whole chapter, I think we're seeing Abraham in a real right relationship with God. So he, he fell face down, and what does that mean? Of course, it means respect and reverence, just like the first time. You know, he knows who he's dealing with here, and he is, he's in awe of what God just said. And then he laughed and said to himself, now, did you have problems with that? I mean, for me, I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute. He laughed too. Just like Sarah laughed to themselves, and she's the one that got reprimanded. He gets away with it. This is not right. This is not fair. This was my thinking first. Until it's like the Lord may just sit here and think about it, would you? He is in a right relationship with me right now. He fell face down. He knows who I am. He's not laughing because of doubt. He's laughing because he's awed by how can this impossibility happen? Oh, only God Almighty can do this. I mean... Maybe the best way I can describe is having you laugh sometimes and just laughed in in awe. I mean, like, oh my word, you know. Only God can do this. I had this happen today. I thought this is so perfect for me to use this as an illustration to get you to see. I'm on my way to, in this pouring rain. Wasn't it just miserable this morning? And I'm on my way to Hudsonville. And I'm just, you know, tooting along on M21, and 
I, I said to Tom before he left this morning, I said to him, I said, I never usually procrastinate. I usually am not that kind of person. But I did this week, and I didn't get gas. And, and I knew that I could make it there, but I knew I wouldn't be able to make it home. So I knew, so I left early, and I was going to get gas in Hudsonville. I knew exactly where I was going, because they've been cheaper, too. So I knew where I was going. I was going to the mobile station, and and. It was right on M21. I could skirt right in there, get gas, and come right back on, no problems. And so I, I do that. I mean, it's rain, and I thought, oh, I hope they have one of those coverings, you know. So I pulled in to the mobile station, and and I see this, you know, there was that center. I wanted to go in the center because that's where, you know, with the wind and the rain, you go on the outside. You're still going to get wet. I don't care what kind of cover you got. So I wanted that center section, and I pull in, and if this humongous truck took that middle section, took the whole thing, took the whole thing, and I'm just kind of fuming about that. I'm thinking, if you just pulled up a little ways, I could sneak in with my little car. I could get right in and get that one pump. You're only using one pump, so just pull up a little farther, and then we'll all be happy. No, no, no. He's just not even paying attention, you know. He's taking up the whole thing. So I think, oh, brother, I guess I have to go around him to go around them and then pull into the outside and if I get wet so I pulled around and I started putting gas in my car and, and all of a sudden this man who is driving the, the truck comes up to me as sweet as can be this this young man and, and so nice to this old lady and so he came up to me and he says ma'am he said do you realize you have a flat tire and I said, no, no, I, I didn't know I had a flat tire. And I'm thinking, I, mean, I have to be at Rosewood within a half hour that I'm expected to be there. And now I have a flat tire. And now what do I do? And, and, and he said, look, at right across the street is Dykstra's Auto. And they are wonderful. And so I'm thinking, here, if I hadn't needed gas... If I hadn't, if he didn't take that whole route and I had to pull around him, then he wouldn't have noticed. And then to have Dykstra's auto right across, and I, I got my gas and, and then pulled my car gently over to Dykstra auto. And, and I pulled in, and I mean, just a bazillion cars in there. And so I walk in. I said, you know, I have a flat tire. Is there any way that you could? In the meantime, I called a friend who goes to Ro Ro who goes to the study at Rosewood. She was there within 10 minutes to pick me up. And, and they said, the lady said, you know, we're really, we're so busy today. I'm so sorry to turn you down, but we just can't fit you in. And I think, you know, what do I do, you know? And, and then she says, oh, wait a minute. I'll go. And so she went back and asked, and they came and said, yeah, we'll fit you in. So I left my car, and um, uh, then she said, but my, my boss saw you pull your car in in the parking place and noticed that it's, a, it's, a, it's bad. So be prepared. You'll probably need a new tire and probably two because it's going to have to balance right. So be prepared. You're going to have to get two new tires. 
well, what are you going to do, you know? So um, anyway, I went to Bible study, and she said, we'll call you. And, and they, they didn't call, and they didn't call, but I didn't want to pressure them because I was just glad my car was there. My friend took me all the way home to Holland, you know, and, um, and they didn't call. Finally, about 4.30, I, I called over there, and I said, well, you know, it's perfectly fine if the car sits there tonight and you didn't get to it, but I said, I didn't lock it. And um, my son's shirts that I just ironed are in there, <laughs> and I don't care what they steal in there, but they better not take those shirts because I put too much time in those shirts. Can you just make sure the car is locked? And so she, and she, the lady said, sure, we'll see to it. It's locked. And then, and, and then, um, and then she says, well, hey, wait a minute. And so she had a kid come on the phone. He said, yeah, we're working on that now. And uh, I think we've got that tire fixed. He said, um, it was in the tread, and I don't think you need a new tire or two. I think, we're, I think we did it. So I am looking at this. And I'm thinking, you know, I am odd. I, I laughed all the way home thinking, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't a doubt laugh. It was a laugh of, I stand amazed. I mean, I'm in awe. I mean, sure, I could, I could be just a frumping about, you know, it was raining. But I thought, no, if you are willing, you watch the hand of God working this all out. And only God could orchestrate it, all those little details in you know, I know it's a silly old story, but it was, I can't help but when, I, when Abraham laughed, it's because you're in awe of when God said, I am God Almighty, and I want you to walk blameless. I want you totally committed to me walking, and you will watch me one step ahead of you all the time. You know, and I'm thinking it's our little experiences if we're willing to see God is there, and we, in turn, should laugh with just joy. You know, our laughter is not doubt, but it's joy. And when we get to Sarah, Sarah, we're going to see that laughter was altogether different. So I don't want you to think God was not, was playing favorites here and that Abraham, it was okay for him to laugh to himself. But I think we have a whole different kind of heart condition here. He laughed with joy. And then because he said, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? You know, I'm sure it was laughable. That's why Isaac was named Isaac, because it means laugh. It is laughable. This is crazy. But God loves to do stuff like this. And he wants us to just believe he can. But then in verse 18, in verse 18, you watch, you know, Ishmael is 13 years old now. Abraham, it's Abraham's son. I don't care what you say. It's still his, it's his boy. And he loves Ishmael. He does. And then he makes this, and Abraham said to God, oh, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. See, he knows. He knows that, that Ishmael is going to be cursed, really, and his nation will be cursed. And he's, he's kind of, he's kind of seeing there, um, you know, oh, I just wish Ishmael could be under your blessing. Like, um, do you think he's really turning out to be a good boy? He's a nice boy. Do you think maybe you can just kind of, you know, soften that blow a little bit and just kind of fit him into the blessing too? And God comes back, and he does say, yes, yes, 
I am. I told Hagar, and I'm going to tell you again too. Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, and and I will establish my covenant with him, with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants and for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I, I know you love him. I know he's a special boy. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful, and he will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers. You know, I don't know who those 12 rulers are. Wouldn't you just love to kind of picture all these, all these Arab countries that are so powerful? And, but it does prove that he will be the father of 12 rulers, which means he will not only have many, many descendants, and this will be a great nation, and, he will be, and this nation will be very powerful but it's not going to be the kind of nation that will be from Isaac's descendants. That can't change because this is disobedience. This is obedience. This is, this is what I called to happen. So, I mean, it's like cut and dried and how sometimes God gets the blame so often when God said, how come I'm getting the blame? I made it very clear this, these were the terms. And this is what the consequence was. And you can't accept that. But anyway, he said, I will make him fruitful, and he'll be great, and he'll be powerful, and I'll make him a great nation, but my covenant will establish, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. See, time is getting ready. It's been a long way, but now we are getting close. It's, all, it's just one year. When he had finished speaking, See, in 22 verses, God made his point so clear, and he repeated it so many times, and he used words that were so explicit you could not deny it. And then when God was done talking, then God went up from him. I mean, like, no more questions, no more debates. Um, this is, I made it clear to you, and there was no, there was no need to talk about this anymore. And it's kind of like in Revelation 22 when, when um, Jesus has John write this at the very end of the Bible, at the end of Revelation. You know, it's kind of like that phrase that always puzzled me until it just made sense. When God finally says, well, if they want to be vile, let them be vile. I mean, I have told them in 66 books, I've told them exactly, I told them over and over, and if they make that choice, it's their choice, and you know what? If they want it, then don't blame me. I, I said it out there. They could have, could have made a different choice, a different decision, and it could have been so different for them. But hey, if they want to be vile, let them be vile. Then I'm done talking. I have nothing more to say. I've made it clear. So here, too, when God was that specific, Abraham, do you hear this now? Okay, then he was done. 
you bet Abraham heard it. You bet. And you can tell he is walking with God. Because look at on that very day, verse 23. You know, he, he didn't even say, you know, well, i got to process this. What is this circumcision? Uh, i got to think this through. I've just had quite a moment with God talking about all these things, hearing about the covenant again and Sarah, and our names were changed. I mean, there's a lot going on. And he could have said, you know, I just got to think about this for a while, you know, have a lot coming at me here. But no, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or brought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God told them. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. Ouch, huh? Did you think that? No wonder, no wonder babies are circumcised. You know, we circumcise now because of hygienic reasons and social reasons, you know. I mean, but, but yeah, you know, I thought, oh, no wonder he's, when God said at eight days old, you know, in other words, so they will never remember, you know. But at 99, whoo, and Ishmael 13, whoo, and, and then Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. Every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought by a foreigner, was circumcised with him. And you think, look how many times we read that. In, in just a matter of, of 27 verses, we heard, again, repetition where God says, do you have this? It's very clear here. And, and then you hear the same words, Abraham did it exactly the way God said, and to whom God said to do it to. So I love that repetition because God said it and Abraham did it exactly the same way. Now, from 17 to 18 chapters, um, you have, you know, not years. We're talking three months or less. So when, 17, when chapter 17 happened, you know, all of those things that happened in chapter 17, now we're going to move into 18, and it's been a short span of only a couple months. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Now, when I read that, the first day I read this, I just read it and didn't think too much about it. Oh, he was having a nice relaxing time in the heat. He was in the shade, and he was having a nice, you know, I mean, after all, he's 99. It's a nice time. You know, I really didn't think too much about it. And it's like every day I, I read it, it's like I could almost sense the Lord saying, stop here and realize this is a very important place. This is a very important place. So I went back and checked, okay, where did I hear about the tree, the great trees of Mamre? He's, he's been there before. Something happened there. And you know what it was? It was when they had the fiasco of Egypt. And Pharaoh told him, get out of here. Get, get, get. And, and it's like when, when Abram, Abram then, when he came to his senses, he realized what he had done, you know, or what he had done about was Sarah. He's saying he's, she's my sister. 
I mean, he realized what, we never invited God into this either. We just went to Egypt. We didn't even have to ask God about should we go or not. You know, and then the realization came. And, and so what he did there, right at this place, is he built an altar. And this altar, we, I think we talk about it every week. We talk about what does an altar mean? And, you know, the altar for us today is the cross. You know, and when we do mess up, you know, he built this altar. Because remember those four steps of why, why they would build an altar. And, and the first one was, I need to reconnect with you, God. Because when I thought I could do life without you and make decisions, then um, uh, I need to reconnect with you. That's the number one thing. They built the altar. I need to reconnect with you because you are God Almighty. You're God and I'm not. And I switched that around. And I need to reconnect with you. And then the second reason was, and I am so sorry. I confess. I repent. Third step was, I want to I wanna recommit. I want to surrender to you I, again. I surrender myself to you again. And then the fourth step is, I rejoice and I, and I praise you and I worship you. And I'm so thankful that when I surrender myself to you again, after what I did, you are still welcoming me back. You don't say to me, well, you know, you're kind of used up your points. So, you know, he's sitting there, and I, I dare say that he is remembering, when he looks at that altar by the great trees of Mamre. In fact, this place is so important to Abraham that later, we'll, we'll, read, we'll read this later, that he buys this area. He buys this area. And, and why? To bury his beloved Sarah there. And then... He's buried there, and Isaac was buried there. And it seemed like I, I got more excited when I read it because I thought it just proved to me how quick I was just going to read over it. And then, and then after I realized what this place meant, that it was a place where it's like he remembers he was rekindled with God. Now he's going to make more mistakes, but right now he is in a good place. He remembers where his mistakes got him, and he has been he's been forgiven, and he is right with his God. And so now the Lord appeared to him here, verse two. Abraham looked up, and then he saw. So the Lord appeared to Abraham, and then Abraham looks up, and he sees three men standing nearby. Now we don't know who these men are sure. But what we do know is that Abraham knows they're far more important than he is. And Abraham is quite important in this, in this day. He is quite a, you know, it's kind of like a big guy. He's important. And yet he is so humbled by who he sees here. You know, is, is it the pre-Bethlehem incarnate Christ, you know, because he's, he's met with Abraham before, so, you know, does Abraham recognize him again as, or, 
All we know is that it says when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. I mean, he was humble. He knew his place. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Look what he calls himself. He calls himself servant because he knows his place. And so he knows that these three men are, are um, you know, whether it's God himself or what, but he is, his, he is their servant. And I couldn't help but remembering this song that says, I will serve thee because I love thee, because you have given life to me. I was nothing before you found me. You've given life to me. And I thought, you know, you want to be called a servant when someone has done that for you. And I, 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 you know, I couldn't help but see this with Abraham. He knew his place. He knew what God had, has been doing and what God has promised him. And he is humble to that. And he is the servant. So look, he says, it's like I, he wants to do so much for him. If I found favor in your eyes, do not pass your servant by. Let, let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. I want you comfortable. I, how, can I do anything for you? And then he goes on, and, and then he says, um, let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. So they said, very well, do as you say. And boy, he hurried off. And where did he go? Right to Sarah. He said, quick, get three seas of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Now, he's got a bazillion servants. But he knows this covenant promise was given to him and Sarah. And Sarah, we, we, we want to do this for him. And so get the flour, knead it, bake the bread yourself. And then he ran to the herd, selected his own calf. He wanted to make sure it was a tender one. He wanted to make sure it was the best. Now he gave it to his servant to fix, but then he, he got milk and curds. And so, and then when that was all prepared, then he brought it all to these men. And then look what it said. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. He didn't even eat with them. He served them and then stood away. So this was a, this was a moment where he knew his place and he watched these men and he wanted to serve these men. And then, and then the question, they said, after they probably ate, and then they saw Abraham and said, hey, you know, where's your wife? Where's your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, you know, he, then Abraham said, she's in the tent. And I'm sure they thought, good, then she will hear this. Because, I mean, they knew that her ear would be right there. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening, of course she was, at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, 
after I am worn out and my master is old, well, I now have this pleasure? I mean, this whole, you think, well, they're the same kind of questions Abraham, Abraham said. But maybe the words, but not, not in um, joy versus doubt. I'm convinced of it. And, and doubt is something that we need to talk about a minute because doubt is something God just does not want with his children. In fact, I, I don't usually go back to the questions, but I hope that you took the time. I hope you don't try to just do them in two minutes because I want you to think like this question here of what does it mean? What does it mean to doubt? I mean, you could you, say, well, of course we know what doubt is, but I looked up three definitions of doubt, and it really helped me to see why God hates it so much and why God tells us to stop it. Because doubt means, doubt means, well, for one, it is disbelief. When you doubt, you cannot say, I believe, and then, then, then doubt. That's why I always say, when you say something about God, but then you say, yeah, but. You, it doesn't go together. Doubt and belief do not go together. So it's either one or the other. So when you doubt, you're not believing. And the second definition was lack of conviction. A lack of conviction. And that's terrible. God wants us whole, the whole 100% sold out to him. And then the third definition was unsure. They're just plain unsure. And all three things are just so negative, so the opposite of what God wants from us. And so then my next question was, why is doubting so easy? I mean, when you see those definitions, you think, I don't want to doubt it, but why does, why does doubting come so easy? Why am I not sure, or why, why do I lack conviction? And most of all, why don't I just believe? And I had to think about, you know, you wrote the question, so you're expecting an answer. So I thought, okay, now why, why is doubting so easy to do? And my, my answer was because faith is so hard to do. It's so much easier to doubt because faith is when you dare step out and, and believe it when you can't see, you can't possibly see. And because you're in the middle of waiting, and yet when he said, I will, I promise, <laughs> faith is, and that's why, you know, in the definition of faith is you just believe without seeing. It's just that simple. So then I had, I thought, okay, I'm going to prove it to you by three scripture passages why the Lord just does not want us to doubt. And so, I mean, we, the familiar story of Matthew 14, you know, we, we hear that story and, you know, Peter's walking on the water and, I mean, this is impossible. He just can't do that. But when his eyes were fixed on Jesus and when and he was able to do the impossible, and the second he started taking his eyes off Jesus and looking at himself and looking at oh, the, the waves behind him, I can't 
can't do this. This is not, this is not right. And it's, it's what Solomon said. If you don't trust the Lord with all your heart and you start to lean on your own understanding, you're going to sink. And what did Jesus say? I mean, he reached out his hand. He took his beard and drowned, so Jesus took his hand. But boy, he said it. I mean, God to me. And I know the Lord says this to me too so often more than I want to admit, and I want it less and less. So I want to know him more and more, so I trust him better and better. Because Jesus said to Peter, Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Don't doubt. That's what he said. Why, why do you doubt? I'm right here. And then John 20, I mean, we know that story so well, too, because, you know, you have the disciples coming to Thomas. Thomas, you're not going to believe Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. Well, you know, I prove it. I'm not going to believe this till I see it. I've touched my, put my hands right in there. So, you know the story. Jesus appeared to him and said, okay, here you go, Thomas. Put your finger. And then, of course, Thomas is just so humiliated, you know. And he, he just kneels and says, oh, Lord, my God. But Jesus doesn't stop there and let him get, get away with it. And he said to Thomas, now you stop it. You stop doubting. And you choose to believe. And that is what he says to us, too. If you want to keep moving with me, you need to be blameless. You need to be sold out to me. You need to be whole. you got to stop this doubting. When I promise, I mean it. So then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And again, she laughed herself. It's very important, you know, that we see that she didn't make a sound, and yet God heard her. He hears. He hears when we don't even make a sound. He sees when, when we think we're, we're getting away with it. He can see your motive when you think you're so pure. So he heard her. So he says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old. And then he comes with this question that he will say to you and me too. When we're falling into that doubt and start to question and feel weakness and we, we just, is anything, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now answer me. I think that's, that's what he sometimes says. Now you answer me. I want to hear it from your lips. You believe nothing is too hard. I thought the same kind of the same words were said in Luke chapter one. But again, what a difference in a heart condition. You've got Gabriel telling a young woman, you are going to have a son. And you've got this young woman thinking, you know, my mom just got done telling me how this works. And I haven't done that, you know. And you're just trying to see her reason. And so then she'll say, how can this be? But it was just innocent question. And Gabriel says to her, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And did that, do you think Mary all of a sudden realized, oh, yeah, I get it. I mean, that's never been done before, so when the world's that going to feel like? What does that mean? 
And yet Gabriel says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And she comes back with this because it was still not understood by any length of imagination. There's no way she understood this. But she said, may it be as just as you say. Here I am. I'm willing. I mean, what a difference. So that's why, you know, God can see the difference. Maybe you can almost hear the same words. Words are cheap sometimes. He can see whether the heart is right in this. And Sarah's wasn't. It could be be that Sarah was still not walking right with the Lord. Again, I think she still may have a little chip on her shoulder. She still might be carrying a grudge. I don't know, but she wasn't walking with the Lord to be able to trust and obey. So God confronts her on that and makes her, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, look at, you know, she hears this and, you know, and, and she's afraid. It says verse 15, Sarah was afraid. I mean, I don't blame her. She, she has been, she has been busted and she has been confronted by God Almighty. She better be afraid. But instead of saying, oh, yes, I'm so sorry. Remember how we've talked about that? So many of these examples, they've had their chances to fess up. But look what she does. I mean, this, that sin is a slippery thing. And if you, if you don't make it right, it's just going to keep going. And look, I mean, she, she is afraid. So she lies. She just makes matters worse. Oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, I didn't laugh. But tonight we end with this, and I think it's a powerful way to end. Is God comes back and says, yes, you did laugh. And then did you notice, Sarah had nothing to come back with. And I am reminded by this little illustration here, that last little sentence, yes, you did. I I remember now, God is always going to get the last word. Always. Go back to that first verse where after 13 years, I can start to see why God started the conversation with Abram by saying, I am God Almighty. I think he says that to us over and over, and don't you forget it. Heavenly Father, what another good lesson. Taking simple stories, simple people, real people, real situations, and and plunk ourselves in the middle, and we can see ourselves. Such good lessons for us. This is us. This is how we deal with difficulties and with, with people and with, most of all, with you. Oh, we can talk a good talk, but really, really, do we really truly believe can we walk by faith and not sight do we long to know your promises what a great way to live holding on to your promise knowing full well you will never renege on one of them and father as we move into thursday we have this wonderful opportunity even though we're grateful for our country and But Lord, we are thankful. And what are we most thankful for? May we take time, sometime Thursday, to just kind of spend some time with you so we can say thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. 
Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich that sets me free. Father, in the scope of life, to know it is well with our soul should be the most precious and the most beautiful and the most the best thing we're thankful for come Thursday. And all we can do is praise your name. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.